Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're following up on our recent coverage of Hereditary by talking about Ari Aster's second directorial feature, the truly traumatizing Midsommar. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host, Ben Cond. Ben, how are you tonight? I'm here to announce that I am running for Congress so I can introduce legislation creating a federal ban on horror movies that are two and a half hours long. <laughs> I got yeah. an hour into this movie and realized I still had a whole fucking horror movie to go. Too much. You're going to be excluding some overseas horror movies then, my friend. <laughs> they're overseas. That's fine. They're, they're in like, uh, fucking, I'm running for U.S. Congress. I can't do shit for, about them. Oh, so, but we can import two and a half hour horror movies, but we should make them. Okay. Okay. Yes. I'm really just trying to like stop Ari Aster specifically. Yeah. Literally, I, the day before we watched this, Ben did text me and say, Are we watching the theatrical version or the director's cut? And I was like, Motherfucker, there's a director's cut. It's like, I would have lost 50 minutes. I was like, no, no, we're not doing y'all. I went to the Alamo Hell Draft yeah. House in Yonkers to see the director's cut of Midsommar in 20. 20- did they tell you how long it was? They did. Just added an extra level of horror to this podcast. I'd seen it already, and I'm that kind of glutton for that kind of punishment. Okay, well, well, let's let's put a name to some of the voices you're hearing before we go any further. Next up, the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I'm just thinking about how it's about family. Like every Fast and the Furious movie, this is basically the same film. Yeah, this is one of the fastest. This is the slow and the serious. Slow and the gradual. (laughs) Slow and the chill. All right. And our guests tonight, two great friends of the podcast. First, completing the second half of our Ari Aster biathlon after braving the hereditary episode. It's Greg Silver. Greg, welcome back. Hi, thank you for having me uh, back on so soon. Uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to formerly, for, formally uh, announce that I, too, am running for Congress against Ben. On the platform of uh, movies of all genres should be as long or as short as they need to be. There we go. No, they don't. All right, well, I look forward to it. I look forward to uh, seeing you on the debate I watched the Justice stage. League movie where Superman didn't show up for three hours. But, 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 see, this, 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 this is by Hillison, because I agree that that Superman movie was bad. As long as they need to be, he distinctly said. We might be able to find some common ground after, after all. And making your glorious return to the podcast, the amazing Tina Horn. Tina, how are you? I'm good. I'm a little trepidatious but confident ultimately because i know you guys have been working on this podcast for a while but i just wanted to let you know that i have decided that i'm gonna write my thesis on holding horror movies to progressive standards they absolutely never agreed to but i want you to know that i'm open to collaborating oh my god so many of my notes are just christian fucking socks yeah 
So when you thought, when you had that idea, were you actually going to college for a thesis or did you just come along to the progressively horrifying trip to bang Swedish girls? That actually, that would be a fun game to play. Banging Swedish girls? Like, who are you in this crew? (laughs) Like a like an are you a Samantha or a Charlotte? You know, like are you a Mark or a Josh? Oh Jesus! God. They all say shitty things. I mean, that's not to cut too much to the chase, but to me, that is the true genius of this movie, and the thing that endeared it to me the most is I don't know if I've ever seen such a thorough sophisticated portrait of what gaslighting actually is and how insidious it is and how horrific it is and one of my favorite genres or one of my favorite things that genre fiction can do is portray yes it does feel this horrific to have people treat you this way and also to be socialized as a woman and to like reflexively compulsively feel like it is your responsibility in every moment to appease everyone else no one is not complicit in the shitty treatment of love i hate christian with a fiery hot passion like i despise (laughs) that man a barn from the bottom of my soul like from like the first time he shows up just like the way that he delivers lines just over the phone to his girlfriend who's going through even before the real tragedy at the beginning of the movie already going through some horrible shit i was just like oh i fucking hate this guy and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse which leads to what i was going to say before is that i have i feel like a controversial opinion about this i far prefer the evil cult at the center of this movie to almost all the other characters like they're not that wrong i'm very very in favor of their pro psychedelic stance (laughs) i sub i support their casual use of fun time drugs i i agree with that i also actually that was something i really liked was how this movie depicted uh shrooms or like being on shrooms specifically like the visual hallucinations like, 100%. I liked how it wasn't just like, oh, this person did shrooms. Now it's fucking whatever fucking weird. Yellow submarine. Yeah. That- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it was like realistic visual hallucinations. And I liked how they were doing it like in the background and not just when you're yeah. in like a POV shot to really yeah, communicate it to the viewer. Like just from a cinematic or cinematography level, I feel like they really nailed depicting mushroom trips. I totally yes. agree. The other thing cinematically that is so impressive to me about the subtlety, and in many ways, this is not a subtle yes. movie, but in, in a lot of ways actually is in the sense that it's so intricate and detailed and like so many things in every frame are designed and planned on a character I've... level, on a plot level, on a production design level. But the thing that the movie captures in terms of a psychedelic experience, I think, is the way that when you are having a consciousness altering experience with plant medicine the thing that you are paying attention to tends to be the thing that maybe warps or reveals some meaning to you and like that's an amazing thing that the movie does is like when it's when we're in danny's point of view mm-hmm. we're seeing things change in the way that they would for danny and oh, yeah. that like directs your attention throughout the movie because they're kind of lightly tripping 
the whole movie, which contributes oh, to yeah. pervasive yeah. disorientation, which also makes the movie seem longer than it is. <laughs> it really explains why they're just like, yeah, sure, like, just going along with it. Because when you're that drugged out, you just be like, fucking, yeah, sure, this is happening. But they're well, also drugged out on grad school. Oh, and not yeah. sleeping well because of the fucking midnight sun. Yeah, that 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 would, that would that would really be bad for me personally because I'm the kind of sleeper who like I need absolute pitch black darkness and no noise. So I just uh, yeah, even before you get to the human sacrifice, I might have a hard time living in this cult. By far, Will Poulter's like the one moment where he is a relatable human being is when he's on the shroom trip. Just being extremely not okay with 9 p.m. daylight and the literal quote, I don't want new people right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was in my notes, too. I completely agree. That is the, the dialogue in that scene when they are on the hill is so hilariously on point. Yeah. I think the depiction of them tripping on the hillside is one of the better depictions of what people using drugs are like in a movie that doesn't involve <laughs> yes. like you know requiem for a dream levels of horrible shit like oh this is like the group of them talking and also not quite being conscious of each other at the time have have any yeah. of you been anywhere where there's a midnight sign no 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 okay i was in norway in 1996 and i still remember how fucked up that was you don't need drugs. And and one thing is that, we like... Want them. The movie <laughs> uses brightness very effectively. Yes. It is oh, yeah. unnervingly, creepily bright. Totally. Yeah, and when you have the midnight sun or, you know, and when you're close to that latitude, you'll have some twilight, maybe. But twilight at two in the morning is still fucked up. Yeah. And I think there's yep. a point that they did that. Yeah, they, they do it in one of the last series of sequences towards the end there. It's really incredible in some ways it feels, and some of this is sort of the history of folk horror, but in some ways it, it feels sort of anti-horror movie. And that like, in the same way that uh, neo-noir stuff is sort of the opposite of noir, and that like everything is really bright all the time. Like there's lots of great colors. There's no jump scares in this movie. Like this movie yeah. is not interested in startling you. It is interested in holding on to incredibly disturbing images. Like, this movie is a horror movie of images, of you seeing things and going, shit. Well, I feel like this is a good point to do the recap, so we can all think about that. Director Ari Aster, writer Ari Aster, so talented, so multi-talented. Wow. It sounded really <laughs> shitty, but it's not. Uh, stars. <laughs> you said that with so much sting on it. I know you didn't mean to, too, which is the wildest part. Yeah, I, they're laughing at me with all of their accolades and, like, who's this? Anyway, director and writer Ari Aster. Um, it's about family. It stars Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, William Jackson Harper, Will Poulter, and Wilhelm Blomkvin, and a lot of Nordic-looking people. We begin exterior, day, Sweden, winter, that's all. Then, in a different winter, we have Danny, our heroine. She is dealing with her sister's mental breakdown. Despite her boyfriend's dismissal of the situation, turns out her sister has died by suicide, asphyxiating from carbon monoxide and killing her parents as well. This is rough. 
visually difficult to look at too. Can I just say that please, that please. scene is also it's visually excruciating and rough. And to me, this is a great time to talk about the score because that is, I cannot, that score just like really got under my skin in that scene. And the score is done by this fellow named Bobby Krillick. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but he composes and performs as the Hexen Cloak. And apparently Ari Aster was listening to his music while writing this movie. And I've Hex- I've been I've been using it. I need like instrumental music, like uh, no words in the language that I can read while I'm writing. And I have been using Hex and Cloak music while writing. So let's see nice. if that shows up in um, the derangement of anything I'm working on. And the score is great, but also the use of silence. Like I've never seen yeah. the way this movie, like audible negative space, the way this movie achieves it. I, I do love how they how they match her scream to the violins in there and it, it's very like haunting that was the thing that the first time i watched it, it was like fuck they just did well they just did that can scream and cry like with the best of them like when she's just sobbing so hard she's like wheezing like an engine sputtering out oh my god yeah uh, it's, it's devastating it that sound that sound haunts me. She's such a great yeah. actress. She's too. the fucking I, best. I mean, I don't know if we've said that yet, but there's a lot of great performances in this movie. Not just her, but oh my god, she is just you. You, you, know, you think of crying and screaming as such a typical horror movie thing, but somehow she manages to scream and cry in a way that I've never heard before in a horror movie. When not with this kind of combination of both intensity and honesty i i will say i'm gonna talk shit about the guys in this movie the whole way through because they absolutely deserve it as characters oh, but the yes. actors are 100%. really killing it like oh yeah the performance of christian by jack rayner is so nuanced especially in like the later part of the movie when he's we'll get to the scene where he's tripping at the table and doesn't know it's going on doesn't know he's been drugged and like the old man claps at him and he just like reacts in this like horrified traumatized way that is, like, why did you do that yeah like, top top five looks, moments in the in the incredible. movie for me because he just he becomes the little baby that he is like emerges on his face like yes at the moment and, of and that i clap. wonder if they added any sort of like effects there like i feel like there's some oh, there's, there's, there's a visual effect of air moves around him like well yeah but like his eyes get bigger and bigger and bigger in this movie as he'd be like recessant or like i I think that the distortion that we've talked about a bit already like in the landscape in people's faces is throughout and it yeah like it's not always again like yellow submarine like obvious that psychedelic things are happening and there are things that i've definitely noticed on a rewatch that like a flower is breathing or like someone's face in this one moment gets like a little lump, lump, but yeah. then it just it doesn't call attention to itself un- unnecessarily which is more what a psychedelic experience is like well I- yes. i'm really glad we're talking about how, how great of an actor uh, jack rayner is in this as christian because we could all agree christian sucks jack rayner does a great job portraying this shitty character yeah, it's it's nice when the actors like you know the actors know exactly what they're doing when they're portraying shitty characters that well. 
and you know that you know like i can trust that person they know what it's what it means to be an asshole despite his dismissal the worst has occurred the dreading comes with violence this time and it is not as difficult to listen to as it is in hereditary not a constant horrifying thrumming underneath everything like hereditary yeah it's not difficult to listen to it it has some nice stuff going on anyway so no Gretchen and his squad of lenders are going to Sweden for college academia reasons to see the titular Midsommar. Christian invites Danny along after a long awkward conversation over a picture of Larry David facepalming. I really hope none of these guys are doing their thesis and communication because they are so fucking inept at it. But anyway, so one of the friends in the, in the winter squad is a Swedish dude from the magical world of Helsingland. It's actually Helsingland. I think it's funny that it, it's Helsingland because is that where Helsing comes from? We just don't know. If I was Dracula, I would be fucking afraid of these people. Anyway, so first red flag for Pele, the, the Swedish friend. He talks too much for a Swedish dude. Second red flag. That checks out, yeah. He grew up in a commune. He's also drawing some shit that he won't tell her what it is when she comes in. Fucking hate that shit. Yeah, Pele, I know, you know, Pele was sus from the dead go because he was like, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Regular Swedish person would just give you an alcohol and a food and nod. And then you talk about Nintendo once they're drunk. Anyway, so Pamela is acting inappropriate already. Despite Christian's assurance that Danny isn't going to Sweden, despite everyone inviting her, she goes to Sweden. Act two, we are now in Sweden. We roll up on Helsingland uh, and Sweden friend Pele introduces, introduces everybody to his friend Igmar who also brought people from overseas. Danny is pressured into doing mushrooms immediately. This is your reminder that this movie is 127, excuse me, 147 minutes long. That's not the long version. Oh, hi, Mark. Immediately regrets doing drugs after the midnight sun. Only thing relatable that he does. Danny is having a fine time until someone says the word family, which is unfortunate because that's what this movie is about. And she's just a little guy and it's her birthday. Come on. <laughs> um, Danny awakens from her bad trip to continue further into the Swedish wilderness and they enter a big eyeball made out of wood and freak out about ticks now they are in Horga where everyone wears white and is blonde and they are greeted by a family of flautists it is pastoral and idyllic and bucolic and lots of words like that and it is the cultiest shit on earth meanwhile a member of the cult who is not as pretty as everyone else is doing weird finger painting and Pele is showing off his drawing skills to danny in a totally not weird way this is important later we are indeed going to ignore the bear as well as the love spell comic on display about putting your pubes in your liver's food and the forbidden triangle building not just did not like i'd like to point out they don't <laughs> emphasize I... this but there uh, is also period blood going into the drink. And uh, I didn't need to you know will distinctly note when you get to the food scene where he pulls a pube out of his pie that they don't say it, but his glass is significantly pinker than everybody else's. Yep. 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 I actually didn't notice that. I did wonder about that. I did I did Let's... notice that and I did wonder about it and now I wish I hadn't. Everybody else is drinking a very yellowish liquid. Is it sort of that pinkish color? You guys <laughs> That is fucking hilarious. I have a uh, a story. I don't know you oh, no. so so far oh, so far in the movie. I was trying to keep it shorter than the movie. You're doing an amazing job. Um but Thank I you. really do need to tell you this this story. It's pretty brief. So when I saw this movie in the theater at the Nighthawk up at Prospect Park, 
Shout out Nighthawk. I fought at the uh, Williamsburg one. Nice. Excellent. Best city in the world to go to the movies and and do everything else. So I went with two of my wonderful friends um, who are both uh, writers and educators and and performers that everybody should check out. uh, Sophie St. Thomas and Dia Dynasty. And something that Sophie and Dia have in common is that they're both practicing witches. Okay, not like a pointy hat Halloween, like they're like legit mystical broads. And Sophie has written books like Glamour Witch and Sex Witch. Like, they're amazing. Check them out. So anyway, we're having a horror movie date. And the scene where there is this beautiful pan over illustration that tells you exactly what is going to happen in the movie, which is just such, again, like a beautiful and funny conceit. And so it pans really slowly over the scene that shows a young woman being attracted to a young man and so she takes some scissors to her pubic hair and then bleeds into a cup and like bakes a pubic hair into a pie and then she's pregnant and they're in love right we like see this whole little fairy tale like play out totally visually and then of course that's exactly what happens right so yeah sophie and dia start giggling next to me at this point and the edibles are hitting obviously and i look at them and they both look at me and they're like yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. They also incorporated that into certain, um, in Salima, you're supposed to bank pies with your menstrual blood and semen and stuff like that. I just really appreciated, like, watching a movie that is in part about witchcraft with people who practice witchcraft and have them be like, oh, yeah, if you want to make someone fall in love with you, you got to bleed in their tea. Oh, yeah. And you got you to gotta get some menstrual blood in there. I mean, it's sympathetic magic, essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just want to put this out there that if anyone listening has a crush on me, just, you know, ask me politely. Like, you don't need to, you know, put your uh, period blood or your pubes it's in a pie. It's totally fine once it's cooked. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I, you know, I don't know who out there is listening. If there are any women who are like, okay, this is the way to win Greg's heart. There, there are easier ways. I'm just... I'm just yeah. Listen, there is there. a lot of iron in the stuff that some of us slop off. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, you don't have to start with the nuclear option, though. Like, you can, right. you can start with flirting, you know? That's what I'm yeah. saying. Just talk to me. Yeah, as long as, you know, you're not doing any eugenics. Yeah, I mean, it's eugenics and rape, but, you know, that aside. Yeah, the, the other, that other stuff. Look, it's they're mostly non-eugenics with a little bit of eugenics as a treat well this like this is eugenics all the way well, down no, they're like they're, they're, this cult is like 90 percent. look we know we're small let's just bring random outside people and you know we'll keep things okay they're not random. except for the one time when we need the oracle we look they they do a little bit that that other 10 percent is a lot of oracle eugenics okay, okay. well let's hold, hold on now let's talk we've had this a couple of times in this movie this happens a lot in this movie but Mark fucking spells out what's going on in here in the first 15 minutes of the movie because they're yeah. driving through Sweden and uh, one of the other guys is like, why is everybody in Sweden so hot? And it's like, oh, well, it's because the Vikings stole all the hot women from other countries to make all their offspring hot. And it's like, that's literally what they're doing. Like they're stealing the people that they, you know, want to knock them up to influence what kind of children they have. Obviously, there's not like, any intention for him to be, remain part of this group at any point 
Yeah, unless they're the main queen. I mean, I don't know. What the fuck was up with the Oracle? Yeah, like, when I say that this person is not as pretty as everyone else, they have been heavily made up for the movie to appear as if they are deformed in the face in a very exaggerated way. But it is very a very stark contrast because everyone else is various levels of Swedish pretty, which is a specific kind of pretty. Very symmetrical. Yeah. Symmetrical. And very and very master race. I mean, let's just say it. Yeah, but, you know, but there's the young people. And then there's all of the older people who all have laugh lines. They all fucking look like David the Gnome, except tall. And they're all like the least intimidating looking people that you've ever seen in your life. And they're all like smoking pipes and making pies and shit. And they're they're another kind of appealing. I'm mentioning all this because the character, the Oracle, who we first see in the scene, is obviously supposed to contrast that in a cartoonish way. Almost like CGI face kind of ways so um now we have Hele explaining you know starts to explain what's going on and uh shows them their new very pretty very etsy sleeping quarters it's so cottage core but it's also very public so you know everyone sleeps in a giant house that has paintings on the inside of it Hele basically is like oh yeah after 72 they die not a lot of explanation of the context around this, but when Danny asks what happens after 72, he straight up does the finger across the throat, and no one talks about that. After his very touching rendition of Seasons of Love. Yes. Um, yeah, you can't accuse him of lying about that one. They ask him, and he just admits it flat out, and I mean, there's like, oh, that must be a metaphor for something that isn't that. Yeah, like all of the stuff on the walls being like, do you really have dudes with their boners sticking the wrong way, like watching you be covered in flowers? Spoilers, you do. Well, they do. So anyway, now we have first of the many awkward dinner scenes. The prolonged silence at the dinner table is the most Swedish thing that is actually going on in this film. Not a lot of chanting, though, usually happening before the drinking. Chidi actually has some sense of humor, and he would not translate the word atsupa, since he knows that Christian and Holheimer haven't done any research whatsoever for their academic college trip, although it is kind of fucked up to not warn Danny about it, because right after dinner, we go see the brutal ritual assisted suicide. And no one has told Simon or Corinne, which are the friends that Ingemar brought, and now the cultists are like, what the fuck are these guys' problem? The ritual doesn't go perfect, and they have to smash a dude in the face because he didn't smash himself up enough when he jumped off the cliff. Rookie mistake. They do have a cool ritual hammer for this, though. Yeah, they do have a the boomer hammer. So boomer remover. The, yeah, the boomer boomer. Connie <laughs> and Simon are a bit rude in this scene, though. They're I, so rude. Like, well, I don't think anybody warned them. Even though, and then this is a really good example of Tina's discussion of the gaslighting because you see how they're warned earlier. It is very subtle, and nobody talks about it. Chidi could have talked about it, but he doesn't. And I think he just wants to fuck with Ohai Mark and Christian because they're shitty. And, you know, I'm with him there. It's just, Danny, I'm like, no. You know what happened. He's full on, everybody full on news, news what's happened to Danny. And no one has made any, like, has sat down with her yet and been like, let's hold you for a moment and tell you about what you're about to see. So can I tell you guys, I have a a hot take about Ingmar and Simon and Connie. Yeah. So it's such a small part of the movie that it seems 
incidental, but I'm kind of obsessed with the fact that when Igmar, who is Pele's Swedish friend, who is also on his covert operation, like bring people back to be sacrificed. When he introduces them, there's this awkward interaction where he says, well, actually, you know, it's funny because I was dating Connie when she met Simon and now they're engaged. And they both look at him like, that's not what happened. And Connie, like, you go, girl, is like, "Mm, no, we went out once and I don't think it was a date. And you're actually being kind of creepy and inappropriate. So my hot take is that Ingmar chose the people to be sacrificed in a very vindictive way. Or he was like, this girl rejected me. I feel cuckolded by this other guy. I want to make blood eagle uh, stuffed dolls out of them. I got to bring somebody back. So I might as well like enjoy like punishing these people, which I just feel like it's not that important to the plot or any of the dynamics of the characters. But like it gives a little bit of a dimension and background to who these sort of more minor characters are. And it also supports this theme that I keep talking about being obsessed with of like, you know, you could use the word toxic of like the toxic dynamic between the sexes, but also like male entitlement that like somehow he has some proprietary ownership over Connie that he feels like he needs to bring up because they like went on one date. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't don't know if I agree with with the idea that that's, Everything you just said is not important to the plot because I, mm. I mean, if you're watching it and you miss those points, I, I, you'll be able to understand the movie from a raw plot perspective. But thematically, it, it, it's absolutely essential. I think the, the way that, first of all, we're showing that this is not even beyond the obvious way that this is not a utopian society. These are still people. Th- these are not people who are so enlightened they're still jealous and manipulative like anyone else could be in any culture or any society yeah totally people suck everywhere around the world yes absolutely Russian company accepted but also i I think the way that uh this movie speaks to gender dynamics too like the way that sex and relationships even in the society where it's like they kind of have a built-in support structure, it's still very transactional. Totally. Yeah. I think, especially with Ari Aster, knowing what he does in these movies and being familiar with his style, nothing is happening that is not deliberate. You totally. Know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they tell us things about the characters, which is the thing that I really appreciate about Ari Aster. One thing I do appreciate with that, leaving aside the, the earlier stuff with Ingmar, which I think is very well observed, this is the first of, I think, the several instances where, like, the thing that is very horror movie about this movie is that people die the same, for the same reasons they die in horror movies. They break the rules, and they're killed because they break the rules. And, like, yeah. in this case, Connie and Simon freak out, perhaps justifiably, but, like, they're, like, observing these people's rituals, and they're, like, shouting at them, like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, it's very clear that nobody pushed these old people off a cliff. Like, it is something that they yeah. decided to do and that they did. And, you know, there's obviously some shock there, but also it's pretty fucking rude. Dude, he, he, the rudest part is when Simon is yelling at the second person to jump, the gentleman, and he yeah. is screaming, don't do it, sir! And it's like, fuck, shut up. 
down. Like, yeah, I think mean, he knows what he's doing. Like the guy knows why he came onto the rock. You're right. Like they don't die until it's like they interrupt the ceremony or pee on the sacred tree. But also they needed outsiders to die for their ceremony. So it's like, weren't they kind of fucked no matter what they did? Yeah. They were. And then, I mean, yeah. And Sheedy deliberately goes and does something that he's specifically told not to do. But yeah, I mean, they were like their fate was sealed and they were being set up to transgress. I mean, honestly, there's a real Willy Wonka type situation. Totally. And there's an interpretation. There's an interpretation. That's a good point. There's an inter- yeah. there's an interpretation of this where the Harga is setting them up to have this like contrast of being rude to, to, so that they have this like justification. Like they don't seem to be too upset about it, but maybe in in some way they feel like they need to well, set them up to say about the tree. The tree they're very pissed off about. One dude is not happy. Yeah. yeah. Also, <laughs> speaking of the book. That book, that book was fucking written in Windings, right? <laughs> those were brains. Those are brains, Ben. Some of them may have been wing- Windings. That's true. I mean, some of the book was written in a brown paint that was just smashed on the page. You got to put the omelets over I'll there. accept my ignorance. I refuse to apologize for being insensitive to European cultures. <laughs> that's fair. So, yeah, so... Simon and Connie declare themselves Audi 5000 and an academic drama erupts between Chidi and Christian as Christian decides he's going to steal Chidi's idea for his thesis. So open to collaboration then. But that's kind of moot anyway, because now, at this point, now that they're out there and they watch the people die, Pele is like, you know, actually, they don't want you to write about their cult. Even though Pele was there for their months of planning this, you know, they were... This movie started in midwinter. There's been like six months of planning this trip. Pele just now is like, oh, yeah, you know how you wanted to like do the research, whole research thing about researching, doing the research? Well, apparently you can't research. And nobody's like, huh. Danny is also understandably electing to Ollie, but Pele says, hey, sorry, I know you went through all this intense trauma with your family and everything and you know how your parents were old and they also died and in retrospect not telling you this charming old couple is going to smash themselves on some rocks in front of everybody not my bad but here i'll offer you some drugs and groom you for us okay is that okay and um danny is relatively overwhelmed by that amount of information but she has some very bad dreams because she can't sleep under the midnight sun meanwhile grooming commences for christian as pele's sister mava starts doing magic at him Pele tells Chidi and Christian that they have the elders permission for their thesis as long as they change names and locations. And then Pele is like, hey, Christian, you want to fuck with my sister? And then that is when Ohimar is busted for pissing on the sacred tree. And this is why we asked first. That place is bucolic and beautiful. I don't care how fucking butter is. And the forest is like 10 feet from him. Like, why is he pissing out in the open in the middle of this place by this fallen tree? He's he's a real shit, this guy. I, I fucking hate Mark. When Mark died, I was like, justified. There's also something yeah. about yeah. when one particular man is very mad at him. There's something about the line, it's translated from Swedish, put your disgusting dick away. That's just birthed out laughing. I don't know why. Like, it's so juvenile. It's like, it's not something that is particularly clever, but just... I don't know, something about in that moment, 
hearing it that phrase from that man, I just kind of like exploded into laughter. I mean, it made oh, sense well, for me. I'm pretty sure that guy's dick is probably rank, right? Like he doesn't wash yeah, correctly. Just, oh, that, he's got really unwashed mean, balls. Said. Yeah, yeah. Th- those, yeah. those balls uh, are downright noxious. Right, that's some rancid ass dick. I agree, Greg. Everyone is all like, "I bring you love," and then <laughs> someone going, "Fuck you!" It's yeah. Put fun. your disgusting dick away. I, 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 I mean, disgusting. and I can't disagree. He should put his disgusting yeah. dick away. Absolutely, holy tree or not. That's where they shovel the ashes from the old people. Like they're doing yeah. that in the background in one of the scenes, and then he goes and pisses. Like he's basically pissing on the ashes of these old people that just died. Yeah. Okay. Also, that's point. barely out of the way. He is like feet away. Like this is not a hidden space. Yeah. Like he is peeing in open view of everyone. Even the scene of them cremating the people and then shoveling the ashes. Like, do you guys know that they actually built everything that you see in yeah. the movie? They built the village. Yo, know, Arias uh, was like, fucking so, nuts for that because he did the same thing in Hereditary. They couldn't find the house that they wanted, and they needed one that was a model for that opening scene. So they just yeah. built the whole house. And then I guess he was like, <laughs> "For my second movie, I'm going to build a whole fucking village." And it's in Hungary. That's so. wild. Cut to like what 50 years fuck? from that now, is... Arias's final film. He'll have created a whole planet. Oh my god. Okay, it's so like, he's um, just trying to just live out Synecdoche. in New York. Yes, he's just <laughs> trying to be Philip Seymour Hoffman in that movie. I appreciate that because in an era where we got just lots and lots of just everything on a green screen, occasionally yeah. I need, like, we need filmmakers to just be absolute fucking insane control freaks sometimes. And that's yeah. how we get, like, that good Coppola type stuff. But then you get yeah. also this, like, it, like, not only built all of this, but, like, invented all of these processes and all of these rituals and all of the materials for them. And you see all of these people go through the choreography and as if they've no, been doing it their entire lives. I feel like what yeah. you're saying is Ari Aster is an insufferable DM. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> I will say a lot like, of this no, that's comes not how from, that like, works. You have to put shit. it down. Yeah, which is why I was so mad at Hereditary, because I'm like, I know you do shit. I know you're fucking, you're uptight about all of this world building. You can make payment actually payment, son of a bitch. Anyway, Mark is pissing on the sacred tree, and they're mad at him. Now, Connie is about to leave. She tells Danny she's about to leave, but Simon is nowhere to be found. Apparently, he, quote, 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 left before her, and uh, the cultists continue to get back like her unto death. Meanwhile, another cultist assures Christian that they don't usually do the incest, so they have to invite people outside to come in and liven up the gene pool. Absolutely nothing to do with their visit, though. Don't ask any questions. I mean, you can sometimes. The degree to which this movie is the Dick Family series of skits from Letterkenny, but played completely straight. I mean, that's Swedish humor right there. But also another thing that I love, or just a continuation of this thing that I love about every like plot advancement and character development of this movie, like Connie and Danny are both like, that doesn't make any sense. Like Connie in particular is like, fuck you, no way. And yeah. everyone else is like, you're just overreacting. And 
I, I don't know. I, it, I you, sound... you know what it reminds me of? And this is going to seem like a very strange comparison at first. So bear with me. Borat. Because part of the, like, like the whole mission that Sasha Baron Cohen set out with with Borat was to kind of explore that space where people try to be like, oh, well, this is just a different culture. They do things differently. And like try to explore where the line is, where you're just like, okay, I don't know where you come from. But, like, ritual sacrifice is not okay. Yeah, and also, like, weaponizing politeness, right? Yeah. And, like, weaponizing, yeah, exactly. like, your, your, like, expectations of, like, how people are supposed to behave. Yes, absolutely. Chidi gets a cool lesson about the medical records and how they're all ri- written by fetishized disabled people who are deliberate products of incest. This is a direct quote. But can't take photos. Another Swedish dinner occurs with these Asibakas, and... Danny is calling out Christian for being a dick. I just want us to savor that. And Christian starts eating a special Maha puke cake. Connie also has disappeared because she has melanin. And the Winter Squad is, has told a total line of bullshit about how she is capital T, totally capital F, fine. Oh, Mark is dragged off by the unassuming Inga while being obviously mean mugged by the, the about pissing on the sacred tree. And they play Skin the Fool in the middle of the quote-unquote night. Chidi sneaks into the sacred book house and takes illegal photos of the rune books and gets literally busted. The oracle washes while dressed in a mark suit. That's gross, though. Like, why would you want to put that dirty dick on? And he left I mean, his arm. Are, are, are we sure that putting on the, the, the man suit included the dick? I, I assumed it was just the man. He showed his the, dick. The, yeah, I don't know if it was supposed to be marked. I, I wasn't sure if that was his own dick. I, I assumed that was his, like, his own dick. I didn't think he was, like, wearing this I assume they washed dick. the skin suit off before he put okay. it on, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, a whole, they've got a whole process for that. It's a oh, yeah. Process. Porn movie. the kids at a very early age. How to... 100%. Can we also yes. shout out the preponderance of full frontal flaccid nudity in this movie? Yeah. There was quite a bit of that hereditary, too. This this movie is not afraid to just show a floppy dick. Yeah, a lot of floppy dicks and and titties. There's a lot of full frontal. Titties as well. Yeah. This the big sex scene in this movie is legitimately the funniest sex scene since Watchmen. Oh, I'm. There's plenty. There's plenty to talk about. That was not my reaction. I was genuinely disturbed. I laughed so hard. When the old lady is just pushing his butt cheeks, I no di- no. I was I'm, I'm sorry. That, n- nightmare fuel. That was that was that was not my reaction. <laughs> the at movie all. wants us to laugh. I was on the floor. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and be like, yeah, that's a rape scene, and Christian was getting raped. Yes, yes, he was. But it, he was and he was, and on. it's also designed to make you laugh. When the one lady just starts singing and he's just staring at her for like a solid thirty <laughs> seconds. Yeah. I mean, look, did I laugh the first time I saw it in theaters? Yes, but it was a deeply uncomfortable laugh, the kind of laugh that we laugh when you're like, I am Waiting going to have nightmares about this. Yeah. yeah. I was expecting any minute, like, the freeze frame record scratch, like, ah, so you're probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, in fact, you saw watch the whole movie about how he got there. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's true. But... That's how so this movie should have started with, with yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Chidi's literally busted. We are now down to two. And Christian 
the cultists come to them and we're like, so I don't know where your friends are, but our secret book is totally missing. Oh my God, do you know anything about it? And Christian being a, a solid bro is like, Chidi totally stole it. Christian's the fucking worst. Yeah, this is like he, he, he goes so far to say we were never friends. Like, yeah, like, like yeah. Oh. point of the movie too, because it's like it really shows us like Christian is a bad boyfriend, but like it's not just the way he interacts with women. He is just bad at people and relationships in every conceivable way. They should have done communication if they made in communication. They probably would still be alive. Anyways, so it's time for the midsummer dance. Danny isn't able to give informed consent to do the drugs, and she has volunteered to dance under the the Stong and compete to be the midsummer queen. All she has to do is dance longer than everyone else. But she's into Did it. anybody has ha, have have y'all seen the the original seventies Wicker Man? Yes. yes. Absolutely. Yeah. This scene is obviously big Wicker Man vibes. So to do the dance, Christian Buell is taken into the Etsy shed. They can kill be grilled on the missing tome. Instead, the matriarch is like, you gotta fuck this girl, okay? And then Christian runs back to the dance, and he is her, 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 her speech is much more like, what are your intentions with this girl, and could it be fucking her? <laughs> like, I, well, she, called him, she calls him into her office like he's in trouble, and then is like, so, well, could you want to fuck her? Like... <laughs> If we loved you and forced her to fuck her, could you fuck her? Meanwhile, she's staring at a beautiful image of a bear on fire. Yeah, which is in no way foreshadowing. Nobody ever asked what the bear did to deserve to be burned. Bear was super well. It couldn't even be racist because everybody's racist. So justice for the bear. Yeah, yeah. The bear was not toxic. I mean, I don't think bears are capable of being toxic. That's true. They're bears. They can be dangerous if you get between their... their... As far as I know, there are no known poisonous bear species. Yeah. We're talking about... Just yet. Like venomous like poisonous. Fucking yet. Evolution's a crafty motherfucker. But also, um, okay. a, a bear doesn't have the c- capability to, like, you know, be rude. Like they're just bears, you, you, you know. Yeah. They're they're not going to. I, know, like, I feel like a bears like you put twenty bears out there, like one of them's gonna be a fucking asshole. I mean, well, the revenant bear is very very rude. Um, oh, okay. Winnie the Pooh never wears pants. But Tina, I was gonna ask you though before we move on to the next scene, because you're the only one here who's seen the extended cut, and my suspicion. Is that interrogation scene where the guy's asking, like, where are your intentions with my daughter? I suspected that in the longer uh, director's cut, which I still want to see, that that scene goes on longer. Am I correct? Or, or do I don't you remember? remember that scene going on longer. My feeling about the director's cut is that I enjoyed watching it because I was like, I would like to stay in this world longer and even stay in these, like, protracted tension scenes longer so like it was for me for sure probably not for everyone but actually my take on the director's cut is that there are some scenes of christian and danny arguing yeah that's what i've heard i think that if you're a writer or any any kind of creative really like there's a stage where you're kind of like telling yourself what 
the story is or who the characters are or maybe like you know sketching like whatever it is that you're working on and like becoming like a better artist means getting to the point where like okay cool actually this is the part where I was just talking to myself and yeah like the project doesn't need that now that it's it's a part of the process but then once you get there you can take it out my feeling watching the extended cut especially those scenes and there's a few more rituals that were kind of interesting and and fun and and disturbing but like the movie tells you everything that you need to know about the dynamic between them and we don't need them to have it be so on the nose and that tells me that Ari Aster surrounds himself with collaborators who are not just yes men who are yes people who will actually tell him like you know he's talked about how this is a breakup movie and that he wrote it when he was feeling emotional about a breakup that he went through so you can imagine that like and he sort of like identifies with Danny and you can imagine that a lot of that was him kind of like getting out some of his personal stuff and mm-hmm. the movies doesn't need it and the movie's better without it that's my take oh, okay. that's like that sounds like a lot of what is supposedly cut out of hereditary as well there's a lot more mm. apparently conversations between the family the sort of things that we were like why didn't anybody talk in this movie apparently you know there was talking in there but you know it's didn't change the course of the movie and was eventually cut for you know the theatrical version i don't know if there's a director's cut version of hereditary i haven't seen it anywhere that yes. i would like to say because hereditary yeah. i very much enjoyed quite a lot so we're still at the dance and christian is thinking about fucking maha and not super down suddenly danny magically speaks speaks swedish and realizes that she's the last one standing so for Ray, she's now the may queen even though it's june jazz hands Lot of chance Man, to this movie. What drugs do I have to take to learn a new language? Is this how um, Duolingo works? Is Duolingo yeah, drugs? Kind of. I mean, you are addicted to it. It does punish you. Christian is given this the, the tea, and he's like, well, what's in this? And many times people ask, hey, what's going on with this drug? And they, the cultists are like, stuff, you should take it. Your body. It is impressive. Like, you know, this is not like a twist, like an M. Night Shyamalan twist movie, but it is a movie that if you want to watch it multiple times, there's definitely stuff that you're like, oh, that's what's happening. Yeah. And like, I love where there's some sort of like dramatic irony going on for you now on the second watch where you know things that some of the characters do, but that the other characters don't. And you were in the dark about on the first watch. Like, it is pretty impressive that every single person in this village is hiding this dramatic secret. And they're yeah. also, uh, many of them are also tripping balls. And they are like managing to not be like, hey, 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 do you know what is so funny? Well, that's sweet and for you, though. By tomorrow, you're all going to be dead. A lot of people in this village are also children. And yes. children, I don't know if you've met any, are not good at keeping their mouths shut, especially when they have a secret. That's true. But this non-communication and, like, very ritualized communication, I mean, it's a thing. So, Christian is left in the dust as we, the gaslight gatekeep cycle has finally reached Robos. And with the help of grooming, drugs, and grief, Danny is all, this stays so bad, maybe I can control plants. But then they try to t- shove a herring down her throat and uh, and then even worse, try to feed her Mark, which is pretty gross, honestly. But, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. 
On that table is Mark. Danny is again swept unknowing into more May Queen shit. I mean, I mean June, I've, whatever. And they play to stake. And while Christian, not Mark, while Christian has to trip all the way to the ceremonial banging house, the cultists bust out the tassel shrouds and you know that shit's getting real. Not only have Danny and Christian been separated, but they have also been both taken to a secondary location. Christian had sex with Mahana bed of flowers. It's okay. So sorry. So you you, you so can sorry. do it. You can do it. Um, all the village my, women help. They, yes. They help. So all the village women help and sing and... It's very atmospheric, you know? It takes so a village watching... to raise a child. Starting right here. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> There's this very beautiful aesthetic shot where Mark, like, blunders into this room after the tassel shrug guys, like, give him some cool smoke or something. And they're like, sure, have all these other drugs in every four or fire, water, air, you know, fire nation attack. He is the drug bender. The smoke is to make him hard. Let's, uh, let, let, yes. let's put that out there. They're like, oh, just smoke, smoke this. It'll make you real hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you open up on this beautiful scene of all of the village. I mean, not all of the village ladies, but most of the, the older village matrons are there. Maha is on the floor, surrounded with flowers. And my friend, who was watching this with me, and I won't name them because they said at that moment, oh, like a salad. Oh, oh, no. Oy, vey. Oy, oy. I'm going to go ahead and say there's no way that Christian tosses salad. No. Well, definitely not now. Christian has never gone down on a woman in his life. Absolutely not. I'm pretty sure he doesn't know where the clitoris was either. Of course not. I think that's why one of the women in the village had to, like, literally help help him have sex. I'm not trying to make light of this, but it does need to be reiterated here. He has not consented fully to that yes absolutely not and i think the reason he was freaked out is because the matriarch of this village was like you will have to have pussy for dessert and he wasn't sure what that meant you know we've already talked about eating people and grooming and there's a lot of horrible atrocities that are happening and christian is there and he's like you know having very slow unsure sex with Maho and um everybody is moaning along with her in the, the everybody hut. is kind of moaning and doing a chant it's basically like you're having sex with your girlfriend and then her mom comes in and sings to you and then holds your hand and looks at you in the eye and you're wasted out of your mind and you're looking at your girlfriend's mom and so you know your date's mom comes into the room and is singing to you then her grandma comes and is like, oh, are you having trouble finishing, honey? And then starts, you know, pushing the butt. Like, this is a goddamn choo-choo train. And th- this is really, really fucked up. You know what I'm saying? I, I just want people to see this in a particular perspective. And I'm not saying that Christian Andy deserves a lot of sympathy, but I'm also not saying that he deserves this kind of, hor- like, this kind of existential horror. That we're envisioning here. I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of connotations. I think I'm pretty hard on Christian. Uh, I think maybe Christian deserves to die. He does not deserve this, though. No, he totally deserves to be a blood eagle. Oh, yeah, I saw that. They're like, shocking. I'm like, ah, I've seen Hannibal. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, there's a whole thing where, like, to the villagers who, like, volunteered for this, it's like, hey, here's a tonic. So you'll feel no pain. That ends up being a big ol' lie. 
They feel oh, so oh, much oh, pain. Oh, oh, oh that's, oh, yeah. that's I, I definitely want to talk about that part. Because it's Igmar, oh, yeah, too. So that's sort of like the end of Igmar's arc. So, so Christian yeah. has no afterglow. No afterglow. He he has sex with Mala on the bed of flowers. And then uh, the village Danny sees it. Well, Danny sees it after her carriage ride. And her trip turns bad again. But all of the other to, Mayfleets. Yeah, gets to cry and they all cry with her. Yeah, they cry with her. And not just with her. They cry in tandem with her. As she cries, they they match her, this like the sound that she's making. And it's really interesting situation christian tries to ollie he runs naked into the midnight daylight he finds the remains of chidi and simon ceremonial ceremonially arranged to feed the garden of the livestock and i think simon is actually still alive his lungs are expanding and contracting in that scene yeah simon is being um, used as the chicken coop hung upside down with his eyes replaced by flowers and his lungs not in his body where they should be yeah, I'll get a real like classic him. Hannibal arts and crafts project. It is very Hannibal. You can see connections. I do feel like Hannibal would be like, this is too rural. I don't enjoy this. Christian is knocked out with paralysis powder and awakens for the final ceremony. Now, Danny is dripped out the literal pile of flora, <laughs> and she now has to choose to sacrifice Christian or a local nominated by lottery. She chooses Christian. Two Bjorn. Yes. No one Bjorn. Two. The final reveal is that, like, I, you know, everything that we thought was happening is happening. You know, they're all chosen to be sacrifices for the most part. The bodies of Simon, Connie, Chidi, the skin full of Mark, which is basically Mark's skin full of hay, are all serenely wheelbarrowed and festively set around the Bill Cipher house. Like, it's like a fucking Halloween costume exhibit. An elder shows the village boys how to sew Christian into a whole ass bear. Ingemir and Ulf come along to be life sacrifices as well, so good for them. They are supposed to feel no pain because they are supposed to drink the, the essence of yew tree, but then he, that doesn't work out. Um, I'm not sure of is does Ingmar have to be a sacrifice because he chose the wrong horse in this? Like he he chose the girl who didn't become the May Queen. I don't know because uh, your boy Pelle gets to continue to live happily ever after at the end of this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a, that's another thing that I want to I want to hear the forum's opinion about because you know, if you're in a cult and you're going out and you're trying to find people and you're like, well, 90% sacrifice, 10% possible make lead, you know, 20% fucking possibilities depending on how people feel. Well, so, it does, it does raise the, the question of like, did he did he look at Florence Pugh and was like, this is a girl who has a lot of endurance mm. and is a great dancer. Mm. <laughs> and she's heavily manipulatable because of all like, is that what that's the metric? Like, I need a girl who understands mm. grief and can win a dance a thon. <laughs> I mean, they're obviously trying to push her towards a make winning thing. Like that's that's not happenstance. Like, when there's three bitches left, her friend, who she speaks Swedish to, like, basically pushes the other girl over. So they're like, oh, well, you're the May Queen? What a co-eating. What I love about, like I was saying, the end of Ingmar's arc is that he has a, like, sublime look on his face. Like, when you are raised in this cult, you do believe that this is an honor and you believe that you are returning to nature but the darkness of being given something and told that it will mean that you will feel no pain 
and that it is not a coincidence that both of those guys are screaming the second and it's so, so well timed like yeah the second that the fire actually hit you know <laughs> they're yeah. like oh shit and have, have any of you seen saint maud yeah yes fantastic movie. No, i haven't really good i won't spoil so. the ending but i will just say that there is you know saint maud is very aesthetic. much well, yeah, and it very much is a movie about, I think Religious it's also zealotry. an A24 movie. St. Maud, it's not a spoiler to say, is a movie about the, like, mortification of the flesh for, like, religious purposes. And there's a scene where a character performs this ritual that they've invented in this, like, devotional moment to their god. And it's so, like, shockingly ambiguous whether you're experiencing that person like having this like ultimate catharsis of like yes this is the godgasm that i have been after or that they're like oh shit there is no god and like i'm now just like self-immolating in like and uh, like experiencing like a horrible pain and death i feel like that is also what is happening yeah in a way it like when it's way too late for there to be any consequence for any of the characters, it like undermines the sort of spiritual like superiority of the cult when they start screaming in pain. So it's like, oh yeah, like any yeah. other religious practice, this shit is all made up by these. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, they do start well, chanting along with the screaming of these dudes. Well, they, they scream along with them and they rise and they, you know, they express grief. Like um, professional but, mourners, which is a job we need to bring back. Yes. Yeah, but that's, they also do that when the, you... when the dude doesn't uh, die because yeah. he, like, pogos off of the cliff yeah. instead of starfishing or doing a flip. <laughs> and he's screaming in agony and they all instinctively start screaming. Like this, whether it's pain, physical pain or emotional pain like grief everybody has this practice that is clearly so natural to them of empathy and catharsis communally and that is yeah. both disturbing and weird and also like i would love if i could like cherry pick like harder rituals i would like there to be in our culture a ritual of like if i'm in pain you're in pain and we're gonna get through this together instead of stuffing it away and then it just like results in like panic attacks that we have to hide in airport bathrooms well that's one of the i think the things that with movie does so effectively in its depiction of cults and one of the things that is very topperable to the original wicker man too where it's like it shows you the appeal i'm really fascinated by cults i've watched a lot of documentaries about different cults and read, read about it. And one thing that I saw in the Heaven's Gate documentary, that's on that's on HBO. Heaven's Gate, for those who don't know, was the group that a great deal of them ritualistically killed themselves because they believed they were being taken up to this heaven planet by aliens or something like that. The Hillbuck Comet came through in the 90s, and they believed that it was a spaceship that was going to take them to fly by heaven. Yeah, um, I, I, the details of this particular cult don't don't really matter for what I'm about to say, but there was a psychologist or something like that 
who's an expert on cult, who has a talking head in this documentary. And so it's something I never forget about how, you know, we all look at cults and the people in cults and we think to ourselves, well, that can never be made. And mm -hmm. the, the, this psychologist or whoever it was is like, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how well off you are. Anybody, if they're caught at the right place, at the right moment of their lives, is vulnerable to being part of the cult. And that is something we see so distinctly with Danny. She lost her entire family. And the the one kind of anchor she has left, which is her boyfriend, who, you know, we presumably that, that oh, oh, yeah, they say they've been together for three years, right? Four sure. years. Yes. I, yeah. Yeah. This guy who's supposed to love her and she's supposed to love is not sufficiently caring for her. And this simple act of empathy, performative as may be, is enough to kind of sow the seeds of her being like, oh, I'll be in the murder-suicide cult for the rest of my life because that's what I need right now. I need a family. I need I need support. Yeah, and that's, that's specifically what they are trying to do. I mean, they, Pele's little speech about, you know, does Christian hold you? You know, we're all family here. And he does essentially press himself and his experience on hers, right? He's not listening to her. Instead of listening to her, he's saying, I know what you need because I think that what I what I went through is just as, if not more valid than what you went through. It's, it's the connotation there. And I've seen that in movies a lot, just depicted as something positive. But Pele has been there the entire time that Christian has been trying to figure out how to break up with Danny and Pele is observing such this. A, it's such a bad relationship between yeah. them. Yeah. Jack, Jack Rayner is the actor who plays Christian, right? It's such a credit to his performance that in the early stages of the movie, he does look so genuinely pained that, like, I don't know how to break up with this girl. I, I don't know if I want to break up with this girl. Yeah. It is really hard. Yeah, what, no, what is the right way to break up with someone whose entire family yeah, has just died? Yeah, it, 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 like we don't feel worse for him than Gen we do for genuinely. Danny, but like, I genuinely don't know how you like what you what's the right way to do that. I I know the solution isn't stay in the stay in a bad relationship forever, and then and just continue to treat her like shit. But I don't know what the I truly don't know what the window yeah. is on that. But like um, as the movie continues, we learned that like this is much more one sided than we were initially led to believe as far as who is the bad person in the relationship. But I mean, we really do feel for the guy at first. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think it is a credit to Transformers Age of Extinction's Jack Rayner that he puts in this <laughs> performance that you, you feel so bad for this guy. I. Do, do you I, think I, Christian sorry. also has his state's age of consent laws written down on a card he keeps in his wallet at all times, like he does in Transformers Age of Extinction? I wow. did not know that about that film. I think Mark has that. That's a thing that happens in a Transformers movie. Wait, I mean, I, 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 I'm, they were I'm confused. What, what are what? what? Jack Rayner's in Transformers where he is dating. Mark Wahlberg's daughter and Mark Wahlberg is like, what the fuck? She's underage. You should go to jail. And he's like, no, it's legal. See? And then he straight up pulls out like 
the state's legal statute on the age of consent that he keeps laminated in his wallet. Michael Bay does he he does what he knows, man. I feel like okay. we should someone should press charges. I should also mention that the movie is done now. And Danny got yeah. to do a smile, and this is the only time in the movie I think that she ever smiles. Yeah. It was at the end when she was watching her boyfriend being burnt to crisp in a big bear suit. Did we talk about the part where they're explaining everything that's going on and they get to Christian the bear suit and they talk about how contemptible the bear is? It's just really funny. I liked at the beginning when they got the bear in the cage and they're just like, are we going to ignore the bear? And they're like, it's a bear. What's there to say? And then we just don't address it until the very end of the movie. Yeah. I mean, this, the ending, the smile is, yes. is one of the all time endings, just like instant classic. The smile is everything. Yeah. The beautiful ending. This, this whole uh, triangle pyramid burning as she is sitting there watching it being immolated and, Everybody is chanting and the violins have really just like reached the peak and she's just like smiling for the first time happy watching all this shit burn. Yeah. Her covered in these flowers and smiling. It's such an iconic image. Two things about that. One, NYCC 2021. I saw a lot of women cosplaying as Danny in her May Queen dress and it was amazing. A lot of piles of flowers. Oh my god, it, it was incredible. I, I saw at least a few of them, and like, yeah, you know, every, every once in a while I see a good cosplay. Like, I'll go out to someone and be like, "Oh, hey, like that's really cool." But like, I was just so in awe that I just kind of had to keep like a respectful distance. Like, shoot for me, like I am not worthy. You know, I saw this movie like I put before uh, at uh, Nighthawk Club in in Williamsburg. Uh, with a good friend of mine, a male friend, and there there were these two women seated next to us, and it was so priceless how during the entire final sequence of the movie, they were just kind of like, uh, I, you know, I, I wish this wasn't a purely auditory media, so I could show you kind of like how they were just silently like, yes, yes, <laughs> like pumping their arms. And, and, like, every once in a while throughout the movie, you know, when Christian would do something shitty, I'd look to them and, and see the disgust on their face. God bless these women. They were having the time of their lives. Good. So, you know, we did have one question from Twitter. Our buddy Eugenia asked, if we thought that Pele invited Danny on the trip because she was alone and easier for him to disappear, not much investigation, or if he was had some sort of altruistic reasons, or... I thought he was thought she was a kindred spirit. I feel like we've kind of picked all of those answers, except that she's easy to disappear. Like she seems specifically targeted by him. Yeah, yeah. Easy disappearance doesn't seem like a factor. Yeah, I, I we very clearly wanted her romantically, or I I was gonna say or at least sexually, but no, I, I think he actually did have romantic feelings for her. No, to yeah. what Greg was talking about earlier with cults how everyone is susceptible to them in the same way that we're all susceptible to con artists like the techniques that con artists and cults use have a lot of parallels with interpersonal abuse and like the reason that there are so many stories about you know on the scale of interpersonal abuse to group dynamics to larger death cults like capitalism they all work in similar ways that take advantage 
in the truest sense of the word of human nature. And it is a classic technique to look for somebody who has no one or that you perceive to have no one and then to further isolate them. I think that Emily is right on with the word grooming. Pele sees her as vulnerable and that that narrative kind of undermines the good for her meme like element to this. But I think, again, that is what I love the most about this movie is the ambiguity where I feel simultaneously like what has happened for Danny is awful. She has been seduced by a death cult, but also the society and culture that she was in before and the community of friends that she had was failing her. In a vacuum, her emotional arc is one of catharsis and finding belonging and unlearning all of those moments where she's like, oh, I'm sorry, it's my fault that my boyfriend forgot my birthday because I forgot to remind him. Or like, I don't want to be a mood killer, so I'll take the mushrooms now when every fiber of my being is telling me that the set and setting is not right. And like all of the ways that she's constantly like apologizing for existing, like she does actually transform and conquer that. So... I don't know, maybe the movie also seduces us using those cult techniques of, of well, like those cinematic techniques to like make us feel like this is a triumphant and happy ending when like objectively what these people have done is mortifying. Definitely agree that there is a sort of fudge line of like where she is now in the crazy murder cult was better than where she was before, which was normal society quote-unquote you know like her group of friends were so shitty that this murder cult was honestly better i mean they did listen to her a little bit they listened to her a lot more than fucking christian did and i think that that is pretty valuable in terms of discussing how grief can be manipulated that way because people will go through really awful shit and then they will settle for something that is slightly less awful because it feels like a, a universe greater than what they were going through, you know? And that is one of the classic techniques of con and indoctrination. Mm-hmm. The communal thing can, is also like a double-edged sword in a way because sometimes you really do need to be by yourself. And in this movie, a lot of the experiences were being dismissed, but... Like you said, Tina, like you you can see that they're acting weird. You know, you see there's some red flags, but for the most part, things just seem kind of bucolic. Well, and this is also like what they've signed up for, which is part of the genius of the conceit of the movie. Not only are they visitors, but they're yeah. literally anthropology students. So yeah. like they, they, they apparently didn't it. do any research whatsoever. <laughs> well, they're schmucks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Percini. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think they all, I, I think it's a too too good of an offer to resist for them, right? Because they have this yeah. friend who is part of a weird, like, cult group that, like, they would not have access to if they did not know him. And they're like, we're going to be the guys to break this wide open. Like, I'm going to be the guy to write this paper that everybody's going to talk about for the next hundred years. You know, that's that's going to be the thing. And it's it's too good of an offer for them to pass up. But no, I mean, yeah. they blatantly have this colonialist impulse 
And like, what does Pele say? Um, like, oh, well, you're an American, so just jam yourself right in there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, to Mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think this is like the main theme of the movie, but the exploration of American attitudes towards mm. different cultures is definitely one that's interesting to think about in the context of this movie because it's like, Sweden is not, you know, a country that has been oppressed, I would say. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> but still, like, they're going into this commune with the attitude that, like, it's also like they're going into a zoo. Like, yes. oh. They're on safari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, how, this is so cute. Like, look at all their little hats. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. I mean, it's yeah. a, and it's a very the clever conceit to make it Sweden and to make this as many people have joked about, like a horror movie about white people. Like it, this movie has so much on its mind and so many like aesthetics that it wants to explore. That like having it be like we were talking about punching up and punching down earlier, right? This is a real like yeah. punching across movie, right? This is yes. like white on white violence. <laughs> And the fact that they, they make is... the lead anthropologist a black American man is, is right. like brilliant in a very subtle kind of way. Well, yeah. he, oh, he's not sure. he's not just the leader. He's nice the only subversion. one who actually like has any kind of integrity. And I'm not saying that makes him like a hero or anything yeah. in the context of this movie. But he actually wants to learn. Like, he takes the education aspect seriously. Fucking respect them. And, like, even he keeps asking, like, can I take pictures? And it occurred to me on this last rewatch that I did for this pod that he keeps asking if he can take pictures. And Pele keeps saying, like, discreetly. And as if I realized that the reason that he lets him even take discreet pictures is that he knows that phone is not leaving here yeah so he's real. it's just like the pageantry of like oh yeah like we'll let you like do some of your documentation but like if they thought that was actually ever going to leave the place they wouldn't have let him do it at all yeah yeah i don't think it's so much of like a, a black versus white thing as an american versus american like, like any culture that's not american because yeah, but uh, this movie would have been so different. It, this movie would have been like Cannibal Holocaust or Green Inferno if they were like yeah. going yeah. some doing like isolated culture of like the quote unquote primitive savages. But, or but, but even like the fact that like everyone in this village speaks English, and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's a, such a cringy thing. As an American, and they're also watching Austin Powers. Oh yeah, my god! Yeah, Thank I you love for that, that, they, that. That they're watching Austin Powers. That was great. I I want to see that commentary track of like the Swedish Death Villages commentary, Mystery Science th- Theater over Austin Powers. <laughs> well, what I would say is like as an American, one of the things that like I'm really embarrassed about is that I can only speak one language, which obviously is English. And just that whole thing of, I know so much less. And, like, I I try to be more worldly than most Americans, I think. I don't mean to, like, toot my own horn too much, but, like, I, you know, 
I'm pretty well read, you know, I, tr- I try yeah. to educate myself, but I will never know as much about the rest of the world as the rest of the world knows about America and American culture. It's just that that whole kind of like ugly Americans, Americans abroad sort of theme does resonate because again, like I'm not saying this with someone who thinks I'm above those kinds of tendencies. I've been raised in this culture and I, I there's just a whole lot of stuff about the rest of the world I'm extraordinarily ignorant about in the ways well, that every- the rest of the world is not. Yeah, and everyone has blind spots, but also the like American education. Yeah, you guys, yeah. I didn't learn how to so paralyzed human into any animals when I was growing up. I mean, I also didn't go to Waldorf. Well, that's because uh, that's the problem with the education cuts. They cut home ec from from school. Now (laughs) whole generations don't know how to sell people into bears. Separate from Waldorf, I do want to talk about the depiction of disability in this movie, specifically the Oracle. Yes, we got to talk about it. Because this was an issue that I had with Hereditary, which was the sort of weird fetishization of disability where Charlie in Hereditary was very clearly neurodivergent and, and she was this sort of magical being that was interpreting like weird shit around her and cutting off the heads of, of dead pigeons and stuff like that. And while I think, you know, she's an interesting character, I feel like the, the way she was treated was also a bit problematic and in this movie basically like making someone up to look like they're inbred and then making them the magical homicidal skin wearing like oracle it didn't sit well with me how about y'all not a I good mean, look it re- and also like it doesn't go anywhere like yeah. it's not a relevant part of it would remind me of in hereditary was how there's like oh there's the demon that king that they're summoning and also the Demon King wants the right gender body. And it's, yeah, like, and it's like Ari Aster just can't stop himself. Like he just keeps throwing in just the, like one more thing than the movie can handle. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's hard to disagree with. That it's like there's some themes in, in both of these Ari Aster movies that are handled extraordinarily. And then it's like there's things like the disability stuff where it's like, okay. I could tell you were trying to do a thing, but you were way too busy doing all these other things. So the disability thing just really half-baked. And because it's half-baked, oh, it's totally. kind of offensive. Yes. Also, yeah. we... Agreed. Precisely. So, Agreed. like, add to the ableism counts yes. against this movie, the portrait of Danny's sister as bipolar they explicitly say that she's bipolar and this one is a little bit more complicated the oracle stuff like just cut it out like yeah the movie doesn't need it there is plenty of creepy shit going on you really don't need that well yeah i will say we don't need the disability stuff but i do think the incest stuff thematically needs to be kept in totally the yeah, yeah but the the but the yeah. magical inbred deformed face thing it is to and your point really is not necessary that. to the the incest point and that the bipolar sister acting out the worst fear of people who love someone who is neurodivergent in any way i think because it's more grounded in 
realism, I'm less offended by it. And there's like a lot of emotional resonance and context to it in the relationship. But you gotta handle when you when there's a trope that literally associates a type of person, like for example, a bipolar person with like murder suicide, you gotta handle that carefully. And yeah. I don't know, yeah. what do you what do you all think yeah. about how the movie handled that? I'm I'm not bipolar, but I am neurodivergent. And look, really, to just to be clear of where I'm coming from on this, like I was once a decade ago uh hospitalized for suicidal ideation. So I take this stuff very seriously. But so, so I'm not just rushing it off as like, oh I'm not offended. It's more that again, I feel like Ari Aster was approaching exploring a theme and i'm more just like oh there's kind of a missed opportunity there to have done something more substantial with that theme yeah i mean i'm i'm gonna differ pretty hard on this because i think the thing that i honestly i'm a little uh ashamed because the thing is i just kind of forgot about it because it's buried so early in that movie under so much other shit that happens in this movie that like as i was watching it it really bothered me because i know i mean not to spend too much time tooting my own horn but like i pretty famously wrote a comic about bipolar disorder and it was a superhero comic yeah uh, yeah unstoppable yeah. wasp available now yeah Ow. Much less scary than Midsummer. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, but in some ways, yes. Uh, in, in some ways, not so much. Because I think one of the things I was very careful to do in that story is to consult people who had bipolar disorder, talk to people who were familiar with it from being psychologists, talk to people who, you know, had been caretakers for people in, you know, in their family and, and friend group who had bipolar disorder. And that is 100%... Like, this is the thing that, you know, people are afraid of from every perspective is is being boiled down to just that. And that is literally yeah. all we know about Danny's sister is that she is yeah. bipolar and commits a murder-suicide at the beginning of this movie. She is given no other personality. She is never alive on screen. She is nothing but a disorder. And that is a mm. problem. Like that, yeah. that's, that, that, those, those are really great points, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, and like like the other disability in this movie, it is entirely superfluous to the plot. They do not go into bipolar disorder. They do not have a conversation where, you know, you could very easily make it important to the plot by having Florence Pugh say, "Oh, I also may, you know, have this same thing. I am worried about myself in that respect. Oh. You know, this is." Yeah. something that she is very concerned about but it's not it's not handled that way it's not it's not really plot relevant other than like as a thing to jump off the plot which as you know as he said himself is not a movie about disability it's a movie about breakup and it's very like he's been kind of flippant about that and like i do think that that is bad like i, I do think that, that is a bad way to handle it it is a bad way to throw it in there and not discuss it. It is certainly something that somebody watching this movie who is having that struggle themselves is going mm -hmm. to see themselves represented in the harshest possible light in a way that, yeah. you know, is is unpleasant and bad. And also in a, in a world where 
we don't have a lot of movies with other or any kind of like different kinds of representations of people who are bipolar, right? Like that's that's what a lot of these conversations come down to, right? Is like if you if you know that you're giving a character a specific trait or identity and you're not being mindful of the ways or lack of ways that people with that trait or identity are identified or are are represented, I should say, like more broadly in the culture, then you you have a responsibility to like be accountable to that choice. Absolutely. I mean, why define it as such if you're not going to think that? Yeah, I think for me, it was it was very much a case of not to get too far into fucking Marvel continuity at this point, but like the character's father is Hank Pym, who is early in Marvel continuity, sort of established as somebody who has sort of generic mental illness that is much mm-hmm. later discussed yeah. as being bipolar. And like the the mission for me was like, this is something that is genetic. And I wanted to specifically play against type with this story and, you know, show somebody who has, who's dealing with bipolar disorder, who is a smart happy intelligent person who you wouldn't necessarily see them and think this person is struggling and that like you know it isn't that isn't the way any mental disorder works is that you know mm-hmm. it only affects certain types of people that are obviously having issues and like this movie i think gets off easy because it just throws it in there and moves on yeah i don't know which would be better, honestly, you know, just doing it poorly and making it central or just doing it poorly and moving on before anybody really has time to clock it. But well, I think you know, if they if they get rid of the definition whatsoever and, you know, to find the, char- the character is just having a crisis, you know, you don't. You that's don't an interesting question to the Hank Pym of it all. Like, it, it's sort of an open question that I feel like we should all be thinking about is like, I think that the old the old trope would have been unspecified mental illness or like she's crazy. Yeah. And yeah. my guess would be that Ari Aster was like, oh, well, we're sort of more aware of different diagnoses now. So I'm going to be more specific and like that maybe I don't know, but then maybe his like intention. I'm analyzing this to sort of try to get to the root of how we can all do better, you know, like right. if his intention yeah is to be more specific in order to be more realistic yeah. Then, like, yeah, we need to think about the fact that then there are consequences to being more specific. I mean, not to be, yeah. not, not to overblow this, but it really, in this case, isn't any better than if they were like, oh yeah, her sister committed suicide and killed her parents because she got into Islam. Like, that's the same level of like, sensitive treatment that they're giving bipolar disorder in this is like implying that this one thing that they're dealing with is enough to like you know is is the only thing that it takes it's not not everybody who's bipolar experiences it the same way not everybody who's bipolar is at any point violent most people are not and they're much more (laughs) likely to hurt themselves than to wire up a whole gas hose from the garage from the car to their parents bedroom like that's very premeditated. Like yes. that, you know, even if somebody is having a, a you know, manic episode and they, you know, have a lot of energy, that's still 
a lot of deciding to kill your parents. Yes. Yeah, I always forget about the fact that she killed her parents, too. I think that really does change the conversation pretty significantly because... Yeah, I mean, most... Is it even necessary? Is it necessary for her to have killed herself and her parents? I mean, it's important, I think, to the plot that Florence Pugh is alone and doesn't have anybody but this shitty boyfriend and her shitty friends to fall back on. But parents can already be dead. Ask Disney. Like, it happens. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about tropes. Yeah, they don't have to die on screen. They can just be dead. I think he very much wanted, like, total tragedy and isolation to start. Like, just start the movie on super shocking. There's no question. Well, extreme trauma is... is... There's no question that Ari Aster really likes... He loves that trauma. Exploring extreme trauma. Like, all the shit that goes down when the sister dies in Hereditary is way over the fucking top. She can just die of an allergic reaction. People do every day. But they had to make yes. it like all of this shit together, which, you know, in that in that movie is less horrible because like it's all his fault in the end. You know, it, it is a problem with him, whereas this is like the character of Florence Pugh's sister, of Danny's sister, doesn't have any screen time. She is just yeah. a mental illness that is dragging down her family. Mm. And I think that's one of those things where you don't have to be i mean if it is in this particular case when you have something that is part essentially part of the backstory of the character that is not totally explored you know if they don't have time to talk about bipolar then they shouldn't name it i think if we're going to make things realistic then we should put in the effort if we're going to talk about bipolar in a movie we should at least do as much work researching that definition and paying respects to that definition as we do making the fucking entire village good call yeah and i'm glad we talked yeah. about this i yeah too. me too um it's an important uh, element i mean this movie is let's see it, it's got its relationship with mental illness for sure yeah yeah um, so we have talked this movie from i think just about every angle the end yeah do, do we recommend it do y'all recommend midsummer Yes. Ah. Much like what I said, uh, what I think we all said in one way or another about uh, Hereditary, check yourself. Like, don't watch it if you're not in uh, the state of mind where you can handle some really disturbing themes and imagery. It's a really strong horror movie and, and just a good movie in general. And I, I also want to add, because we haven't talked about this a whole lot, if you're the kind of person who is particularly averse to jump scares, there are no jump scares in this movie. That does not mean it's not scary, though. Yeah, you do <laughs> yeah. have to see some people not have faces. Yeah, if you're not into yeah. face trauma. Yeah, I am not saying that it's or not Or the scary. only face. It, yeah. It's either no face or, or only face. Either way, the ratio of face to not face is way off for a lot of people in this movie. Yeah, don't do what the people in this movie did to Danny, which is not tell them anything about it. Just be kind <laughs> to each other. It. Just, just, just be nice to each other. Everyone. Yeah, just be cool. Keep yeah. Your up. Um, just be fucking cool, okay? I, like, I think the moral of the story is that if you take shrooms and, wins and, and win a dance-a-thon, just go with it. 
Mm. Oh, I don't know, but that's it. If you take shrooms and win a dance-a-thon, make sure you were able to consent. That's, well... Make sure people are able to consent to dance-a-thons. That's... Yes. If... Wait. If you're going somewhere where there are shrooms well. and dance-a-thons... Dance-a-thon? Anyway, I'm sorry. This joke is... It's dead now. I was going to say, can you give consent to being set on fire? But two of those guys did consent to being set on fire. So they yeah, did, I but guess. they also thought it wasn't going to hurt and they were wrong. Yeah, they were wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I don't I um, have no idea whether I would recommend this movie to anybody. I just kind of, you know, it, it's one of those things that maybe you just chuck a DVD in the room and run away. Like <laughs> if, if if they're foolish enough to put it on, then it's their own fault. No, it's just like. Uh, is a lot of reasons to and not to because like it is brilliantly made visual film there are a lot of interesting things here but then a lot of those interesting things are not explored satisfactorily much like hereditary i mean that could have done you know if they were going to add an extra half hour to the movie it shouldn't be the two of them arguing it should be them actually filling in some of the gaps of, of things but ari aster seemed determined to get to that trauma in the first 10 minutes of this movie you know i, I guess people were yeah, like right hereditary the bad yeah. stuff doesn't start happening fast enough Ari <laughs> Esther is eating none of his vegetables he is wanting to get straight to dessert well uh you have salad that's nobody true. eats it i mean in europe you have salad for dessert yeah you do yeah. have salad before dessert. Look, this might defy the artistic vision and the will of any film maker but uh you know maybe don't be afraid to embrace that uh 1.25 playback speed on this one she was the salad and he was Ooh. the cheese okay uh recommendations emily do you have anything to recommend on this one i do if you want this movie but divided into three separate parts insomnia is great and it's about the midnight sun and going oh, nuts, yeah. and that's a that's a good one check out the musical silence of Heidung. They are an explicitly inclusive, or, well, they're Nordic. I'm looking at this list, and this third one is wild, Emily. Yes. Heidong is Nordic. They do bring out the tassel shrouds, but they're not about eugenics, and they put on banging live show, and their videos are really cool. It's a lot of people singing and wearing antlers. And, and no really eugenics, cool. you say. No, no like eugenics. Not even, like, not even just a little bit of eugenics to make a weird oracle, kid. Nope. None of that. None of well, that. Hot, well, hot diggity dog. Every show that they do, they basically have an opening ceremony, which is like, hey, we're not racist. So there's that. They're <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's great. Light the ceremonial we're not racist torch. Yes. They actually do fire dancing. There was a part in the live show where the... Okay, okay. Anyway. <laughs> Chopless chick dancing with antlers that are on fire is pretty fucking cool. Anyway. Hell yeah. I my third recommendation is if you like weird Nordic shit and you like pottish core and you don't want any murder, just watch Newman or read it. Ben, what have you got? If you want another movie about college students having a transformative adventure across Europe, then check out 2004's Euro Trip. How did I know that's where that was going? Oh, God. Oh, God. You know what I'm about by now. Uh, Greg got a recommendation so if if you want a movie that kind of does for male like platonic friendship what hereditary does for heterosexual romantic relationships there's a movie called the ritual 
which I it, believe is a Netflix original. You should be able to find it on Netflix. Really? About yeah, it, it's and it, and it's it, it also set in the Swedish wilderness. Very briefly, it's about a group of British friends who are in kind of like early middle age who go on a hiking trip in the Swedish wilderness together following uh, the murder of one of their friends. And I won't spoil what happens next. Obviously, it's very spooky. There is some incredible creature divine. Um, a wild ending to that movie. Oh, my God. It's very, very scary. It's by the same director whose name, I should have looked this up earlier. I, I forgot his name. At the moment, but he also directed the movie The Night House, which some of you might have seen. That's very good. That's in the same cinematic universe as The Lake House and House of a Thousand Knives, right? Sure. And the Beach why House. Not? He also uh, most recently directed the Hellraiser remake. Yeah, I so yeah. sorry to see that Hellraiser remake. It's I just assume we'll cover it on this show. Eventually. We're doing it during Pride, baby. Oh, yeah. right. hell yeah. yeah! Very, very talented director, but just moody, just yeah, good old fashioned guys getting lost in the woods and spooky things happen kind of movie. I love while love working when through that their trauma in movies and in real life. Yes, yeah. <laughs> stay out of the forest. Uh, oh. Tina, did you have a recommendation for this one? Yeah, so I too am very interested in cults. My parents actually met and conceived me in a cult, true story. So one thing that I want to recommend actually that is about cults, but specifically about Hereditary and Midsommar to sort of round out this series, a little bit of recommended reading is this piece by my friend Sophie Lewis. That was in Commune magazine, but you can read it online at Commune Mag. It's an essay called The Satanic Death Cult is Real. And it's basically like an analysis of like the horror of the family in these two movies. Love that piece. And then for people who are interested in cults, The Nib, which is a wonderful political comics website and publisher, Love them. Did this anthology called American Cult, a graphic history of religious cults in America from the colonial era to today. It is incredible and stellar. And like you'll discover so many great comics writers and artists. And like you will just discover all kinds of horrific shit about about cults in America. So can't recommend yes. that one highly enough. And then the last yes. thing that I want to say is that I'm obviously so obsessed with cults and, and love Midsommar so much. That when my friend Steve Wands, who is an epic, legendary comic book letterer, started a new publishing company last year called Dead Sky, and he asked me to pitch something. So I actually pitched a story about a dyke detective who specializes in rescuing and deprogramming people who have been in cults because she herself was raised in a cult. And that is coming out this year. It's called Deprog, and that's awesome. Lisa Sterl is doing the art, and Danny is doing the covers, and it's an amazing team. Oh, that's gonna be so good. So yeah, if you're if you're listening to this and want to know what sort of deranged things are going on in my mind with these themes, you should check out Deprog. This this is amazing. (laughs) I I need this comic. Shut up and take my money. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I wanted to. 
recommend something uh, that we have definitely mentioned on here before, but it's gotten bigger and it's a bit important at the moment. It's a thing that's got uh, demons, it's got gay witches, it's got folk horror, it's got monster ladies, and it's even got Jack, you know, Jack from all those fables. Because it's Old Gods of Appalachia, if you guys haven't listened to it yet. Well, I definitely now... thought you were going to say Sondheim's Into the Woods, but that's okay. <laughs> Keep going. I was going to say that Owl House. There are now three complete seasons of Old Gods of Appalachia by our, our friend tickets... Stephen Cam, and they are going on sale for their first live tour as we're recording this. So you should find out if they're going to come near you and go see them because this is their first time out. They're really just like testing the waters after having done a couple of local shows here in the, you know, Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia area. They're trying to get out there and, and do this thing. And they do all the things that we talk about needing horror to do. And they do it in an audio medium. And they're incredible. They've got incredible music. They've got incredible stories. Um, they're incredible great, people. Yeah. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Fantastic people. I already have four tickets, baby. Cool. Yeah. So uh, check it out. If you're not listening to the podcast, listen to that. If you haven't checked out to see if they're coming near you during their tour, definitely go check it out because it is going to be a great time. I think that's it for us. Tina, did you want to let people know where they can find more about you and what you do online? Yeah, my website is tinahorn.net. That's T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Tina Horn's ass or at Tina Horn's ass. And my podcast is Why Are People Into That? I'm adapting that into a book right now, too. And Safe Sex is my science fiction sex rumble comic that has two volumes out that you can either buy directly from me on my website or wherever fine comics or and mediocre comics are sold or taken out from the library. And yeah, I do a bunch of stuff. So come come find me on the Internet. And I love doing this podcast thanks for having me back we're so glad to have you it's been a ball and greg let people know where they can find out more about you and your work online sure well first of all i just want to echo something about the chance but i really do love this podcast i was a fan long before and started uh becoming an occasional guest like literally i heard the premise and saw the like the people involved at the first episode and like listened like i don't know about day one but probably like month one but oh, so, so thank, you. Th- thank you again. I, I, Look at I, Emily. She's already blushing. Aww. I'm usually blushing, but. <laughs> well, that, that, no, that seriously means the world. Like, we love having both yeah, on, you. and this has been a blast of an episode. It's my pleasure. But as far as where you can find me, I, I am still currently on a temporary hiatus as I continue to juggle a day job. And if you know anything about trying to find an apartment in New York, it is absolute hell. And so I'm not working on anything new freelance-wise until I've got that all settled. But I've never um, been there, but I've seen at least 20 sitcom episodes about it. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's a nightmare. But please send me good vibes. But anyway, I am I am on Twitter, at Greg Silver. I'm also on Instagram, at Greg Silver. That's silver with like silver, but with a B rather than a V. And my byline is usually Gregory Paul Silver. I, one thing specifically I'd like to plug that I've written in the past 
that I want to highlight for fans of this podcast is, so I've got a column at comicsbeat.com called Silver Linings, where I write about comics and pop culture related stuff. You know, it's, it's a humor column. We have fun there. But uh, October 2021, I did a series of horror essays, and I, for the month of October, I called it Silver Bullets. So if you are a fan of this podcast specifically, there are four essays that I wrote then that I think you will really enjoy. And again, you know, I've written for a bunch of different outlets. So if you just, as well, writing my own comics. So uh, I had a Google Gregory Paul Silber. Don't just Google Greg Silber because the other Greg Silber is a marine biologist. And that's very differently than mine. Ashamed of that sort of thing. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, nothing against the other Greg Silber. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like I'd love to collaborate with him and like make like a a comic about whales or something. But again, you know, we're very different Greg Silbers in, in terms of the kind of work that we do. Yeah, you got me beat. The other most prominent Jeremy Whitley online is a hedge fund manager, so I, I have no idea what he's actually like as a person. But I assume from the job. As for the rest of us, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter, Mega underscore Moth on Instagram, and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com, where you can pick up all their books, including pre-ordering the upcoming L. Campbell Wins Their Weekend, their debut middle grade novel from Scholastic. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome 58 and on my website, JeremyWhitley.com, where you can check out everything I write. And pre-order our new book coming out in May, The Dog Night, which is about a non-binary middle schooler who becomes the hero of dogs and humans alike. It's cute as hell. Two more tickets, please. Yes. And and of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, and on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod. We would love to hear from you. And speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love if you would rate and review this podcast and let us know what you think. Five stars is always welcome. Helps other people find the podcast and the rankings. Thanks again so much to Tina and Greg for joining us, guys. It's been a ball. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. Me. Good night. Until next Good night. time, stay horrified. Bye.